host a la Daily Hustle. Soy Enrique Fairness y presidente de su mejor cerveza. 818 es la mejor tequila. No abate por No Filter Network. Miguelito San Diego, a.k.a. Bobby Ball. Not with us this morning. But, job or no job, dead or alive, we properly salute our boy. Yes, 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 yes! Woo! Remember this, folks? When we are juiceful, we are useful, and when we are juiceless, well, that's right, class. We're fucking useless. I spent the past, I don't know, 30 minutes or so creating a video of Pete Carroll. And there's fantastic footage of him during a training camp, basically getting the boys ready for this upcoming NFL season that's about to start. He's 71 years old. And he is literally taking snaps, running around, and dropping fucking dimes left and right. It's it's so incredible to watch. The motivation that all of us should be able to receive from somebody who's been coaching football since 1973, very easily at this point, could have hung him up by now. I got to imagine he's the oldest head coach in the league by far. Yet he's still out there. And not just telling the boys what to do, but actually showing them. And it brings up this morning's quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson. That is, what you do speak so loudly that I cannot hear what you say. and. That is the truth in life, because if we want to view whatever it is from our mouths and we don't back it up with actions, well, your words don't mean much. But when you're Pete Carroll and you're still getting in the trenches with the boys and you're doing whatever you can to help facilitate them getting ready, not just through words, but through actions. It's that much more impactful. So uh, appreciate Pete uh, providing that Monday motivation content. Go to Instagram on the eburns 22 account, and ideally it'll be on the No Filter account as well. So be a great teacher.com. You know what? I hold tight because let's not forget our other sponsors here. This morning, besides the Ocho and Ocho here on the Daily Hustle, it's Verge. You guys have trouble focusing. You have a little bit of ADHD, uh, which I think we all have. But I've tried Verge, and this is something that has sparked my life in the sense that I really do feel more calm, more present. There's a an element of focus that undoubtedly comes with it. It tastes good. There's ginger in these things. There's honey in them. There's lemon in them. And yes, there's cannabis in uh, these verges as well. I'm not just somebody who likes to talk about the verge. I need to actually show you the verge. So uh, we, I don't know why these are empty. I need an actual full one here. Let's see. There we go. Damn, Joy, I'm running out quick. But we appreciate the good people over at Verge. Mm. <sighs> Keeping me on track. That is delicious. Absolutely fantastic. And then another title sponsor we have. KTK. That's right. This is the Pro Oxygen. It's for all the heavy hitters out there looking to get after it like I do with a pickleball court. Here's your blister prevention. Uh, if you're one of those ones that just goes like to bang the trails. And then, of course, you got to keep your package right. Cave safe. 
So, anyhow, uh, the daily fun facts today by being a great teacher.com. August the 20th. Joke of the day. Why do bananas use sunscreen in August? Because they peel. Random fact of the day. Pencils can be used in zero gravity, upside down, or even underwater. No way. Really? Try that, folks. The underwater pencil. Journal prompt of the day. Would you rather, always like the would you rathers, have shorter days of school all year or longer days with a summer break? This brings up a really good point because the summer break is nice, but all of the kids going back to school at the beginning of August, just makes zero sense to me. I, it really is mind-boggling, and especially the fact that it gets warmer now uh, later as we get into the fall. And so I mentioned this last week on The Daily Hustle with classrooms, apparently, them having to send kids home because it's too hot in the fucking classroom. I, like, that's that doesn't make sense at all. So. I actually am one who believes that we should do a year-long program, but then space out the breaks as opposed to jamming in here, jamming in there, and you try to pick the times of year, say, that it would be the warmest. So, for example, the month of August. Nobody should go to school in the fucking month of August. Nobody. It doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, the month of December. Might be another good month to take off as you get into the snow season, maybe even that Christmas break to mid-January. So imagine if we would take like months off at a time and said, because I do think, especially when the kids are younger, parents are looking for shit for the, the kids to do, right? You're trying to find every camp in the world, this camp, this camp, this camp. That's cool for the kids, but it, it gets taxing, you know, especially for working parents. And I, uh, you know, to be able to do something consistently, it's like the Daily Hustle. And I've thought about this a lot. I'm mean, actually thinking about it today. And I'm going to try to keep it a shorter show. Do I, and we can get interaction from the crowd here, continue to do the Daily Hustle three days a week. So if I went Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and maybe I do an hour show, or do I tighten it up, go five days a week, go Monday through Friday, and do a half hour? Now, I say that because I know my discipline lacks at times, and I'm not sure if I'll hold myself to the half hour. It just kind of depends how much shit I got to say, right? So I, I've gone over that back and forth, and I think there's a good chance that I end up going that half hour route just to be able to consistently produce. The content, that's my favorite thing. Like, it's not, for example, like if I don't have a daily hustle, or I don't come up here being like, oh, damn, man, I got to do a daily hustle. None of us should. None of us should feel that way about what we do in our lives. If we do, get the fuck out. I, that's a, I think that's a basic general rule. If we're dreading what we're doing, I don't dread this at all. I really look forward to it. The only question is, there's certain days, so like the Tuesday and Thursday, as I was getting into the paddle boarding, the pickleball, and all these other fun little activities. To make time for that, would this interfere with that? And the flexibility of what we're doing here now, I think with going on the Bleed Podcast Network, going on Caffeine TV, being able to upload this immediately, put on the No Filter website for people to watch later, I think it's less about the live experience, although, of course, the live experience is hot as can be. See, Buckwheat! What's up, dude? John Davis, Michelle Drew. I mean, look. John Emmanuel Ramos Henderson from Makati City. There's nothing like the live experience. 
But it is cool to know that I could just flip the switch at any point and knock out a show. So whatever. I'll figure my shit out. Biggest news we missed this weekend. I did this last Monday. And I had a good conversation with Henry about it. I think it's more like let's rip through these articles instead of kind of getting them. And instead of touching on every one of them and having to go into a big, long, in-depth you know, analysis of uh, each story, let's just, uh, let's just get to it. The Jacksonville shooter is identified. A really fucked up situation out there in Jacksonville where apparently uh, there was a dude that had targeted uh, African-Americans for whatever reason. Who knows? He's a fucking psycho. He killed himself too, so see ya. A mercenary chief, Yevgeny Prigozhin, confirmed dead. So this was the guy that was the head of the Wagner group. Now, I, I don't know what to make of all this. I mean, obviously, it seemed like Putin was involved in whatever went down. But still, I don't know enough about it to say, and I don't want to say right or wrong. Like, it's, there's just a lot of really wild shit going on in Russia right now. It'll be interesting to see what happens to Putin. Because there's some internal uh, distrust, obviously, amongst all the people there. But, man, that guy's got a way of taking care of whatever business he wants to, whatever he wants. Star swimmer died of fentanyl poisoning, by the way. A former star swimmer was found dead in the U.S. Virgin Islands in February. Died of accidental fentanyl poisoning, the police said. Uh, at the march in Washington 60th anniversary, new challenges meet a familiar fight for justice. Dozens of marchers and speakers at the 60th anniversary of the march in Washington for jobs and freedom said many of the same concerns of the historic August 28, 1963 Gatherings still linger. The anniversary was built as a continuation, not a commemoration. I love that. I really do. I, I think that in our lives, we need to think about like the shit we celebrate. So, for example, Pat Tillman, who I have right over there, uh, he is somebody who was an absolute fucking champion. And he, stood for, you know, so many great things. And he wasn't just the guy that would talk about doing them. He'd go out and do them. I mean, the Ralph Waldo Emerson quote this morning, I think was very indicative of his life. And so when you think about, like, commemorating Pat, yes, every, you know, every single day. And I have subtle reminders throughout the house of the mementos, this and that. But more than that, because I know this is what I would want if I were, say, had passed and was in his position or whatever, is you want a continuation. You want people to champion the morals, the values, the standards that you live by. And so when you talk about the march on Washington and the 60th anniversary of MLK's speech, like that's, that's everything. I had an opportunity when we were down in Memphis to actually go to the Lorraine Hotel where he was assassinated. Eerie. And you can see where across the way, the shooter actually took aim, the balcony. They have the whole scene set up as if it was, what I think it's 1967, but it was pretty crazy. Uh, meet the press, Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy said Sunday in an interview and meet the press that he would have certified the pre-suits of the 2020 presidential election and that Vice President Mike Pence missed his historic opportunity to initiate changes on January 6, 2021. Uh, Vivek is, yeah, he became a real kind of popular figure in the Republican presidential debates. Uh, my mom was dialed into those, undoubtedly. But he's, I, I, a lot of people like him. Younger, gregarious, got that uh, that vibe about him, and he's unapologetic in his viewpoints. And interesting, see if uh, he'll be able to sustain that throughout the entire presidential race. Politics in brief: Biden impeachment inquiry. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy signaled 
movement toward impeachment inquiry to the Biden business dealings. Newsom versus DeSantis, some of Biden's political advisors to California's Governor Gavin Newsom plan to debate. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has a bad idea. Immigration, the Biden administration and New York officials are fighting over what to do about 58,000 asylum seekers in New York City's care, some of whom are sleeping on streets and in shelters. Iowa voters, Republican caucus goers in the Hawkeye state are self-described traditional conservatives who overwhelmingly say they would use the phrase pro-life to describe themselves. According to new data from the latest NBC Des Moines Register statewide poll, uh, Bob Barker, longtime Price is Right host, dies at 99. He was 90 fucking nine. Holy shit. The longtime host of television, Price is Right, who used a combination of comfort food charm and deadpan humor to become America's television staple, died this week. It was 99. Crazy. Uh, in case you missed it, three Marines were killed in an aircraft crash on an island off Northern Australia during a multi-nation training exercise. Double sky point there. Appreciate their service. In 1984, a lawyer persuaded the Supreme Court to allow colleges and universities to maximize football revenue. Now he thinks he screwed up college football across the board. Tyson Foods mass layoffs will have a noticeable impact in rural towns where workers have long relied on its outsized presence as local employer. FIFA suspended the president of Spanish Soccer Federation Saturday after the star player, Jenny Hermoso, accused him of a non-consensual kiss during celebrations of Spain's Women's World Cup victory. So let me get this straight. You're the president of the, the Spanish Soccer Federation, and you win the World Cup. And what are you doing? I mean, you're going in for some talk? What the fuck? I mean, I imagine that had to be it. Oh, the Japanese government has reassured the world that releasing treated radioactive water from the wrecked Fukushima plant into the Pacific Ocean is safe. Bullshit. Anyway, the New Zealand government's efforts to share decision-making with Maori in some areas of field and national debate about how to guarantee indigenous rights without undermining democracy. What's causing heart problems in pets in the past few years, owners and veterinarians have continued to report cases of dogs developing diet-related dilated cardiomyopathy, or DCM. So they're looking at the pet foods. I don't know. I think we can actually go without that segment. I, I, I think Henry's right. The biggest news we missed this weekend. Ah, let's see here. Yeah, here, here, this is something really interesting. I don't know if people know. I, I read an article last night, and I'm not trying to start this day off. On any kind of sour note or anything else. It's just, there's one, something I want to recognize. Because the Dodgers try to hide it, MLB tries to hide it. And I do think this is something that we have to address. As unfortunate and sad as it is. But basically, five years ago, this woman was killed at Dodger Stadium. I had no idea. Never even heard of it. No fucking clue. She was hit in the head by a foul ball. And she then went to the hospital. She was there for four days and eventually succumbed to blunt trauma to the dome. Now, the Dodgers never came out with any sort of statement. Six months later, there was an article written uh, about it. And they then settled. Now, there is something that says basically that the Dodgers or Major League Baseball are not reliable if you're injured by anything that happens at a ballgame. So, you know, from a legal standpoint, there, were, there was some closure in, in the, the settlement. But I think now... You know, this article that was written is written by Bill Plasky. I mean, this is fucking, you know, he's like the main L.A. sports writer, has been 
uh, for a long time. But basically what the husband is saying is that he just would like a little bit more recognition. And him and his wife were longtime Dodger fans. And they, were, they would stay there until the end. And it was actually in the ninth inning when it happened. And it was, you know, Bromiel Reyes was, was batting. And this is, you know, he's, he's gigantic. And he hit a foul ball. And I guess this is after, I believe, they had put in the protective netting. But it wasn't high enough. And so the ball came screaming back and smoked her in the face. This is, for the longest time, I feared I go to games with my kids, and I literally sit there with a glove, like ready, ready to, to snatch them, especially when they're younger, right? And this is before the protective name. So I, it drills her, and she says she's fine, you know, right, right away, whatever. Ends up passing out. They take her out on a stretcher, and four days later, dead. So Major League Baseball's taking, you know, great. They've gone to great lengths to to solve this this issue but it is something where man you know the dodgers say they don't comment on it because out of respect and you know for privacy of the family and whatever else and so they don't want to make a big deal out of it i do agree to that element because it's, there's no way you want to sit there and they bring up something that you just you you want to forget ever happened, but I don't, I'm not sure if that's the way he treated. Because the, the husband is left with a bad taste in his mouth as lifelong Dodger fans. He's still a Dodger fan. He just won't go to the game. I think you know with this article written, the Dodgers they should do something, and it is the five year anniversary. So to bring him back. And to talk about it. And I don't think you run from shit like this, right? Like, this is almost something that you embrace to get better. They did put the netting a lot higher. Uh, and, you know, and I think there's a standard now around Major League Baseball of what it actually has to be. But the story, the story is sad. And, you know, the fact that the dude's still a Dodger fan and everything, I just think that. It'd be cool to be able to get him out there and, and recognize it. And then also, if nothing else, people aren't going to go to a game because they're scared to get killed by a foul ball. It's happened twice, apparently, in the history of Major League Baseball. Twice. But at the same time, I still think it's important that basically everyone stays aware. So NFL season is getting ready to go. NFL stadium rankings are out. All 30 NFL venues, from the best to the worst. That's right. Three years ago, 31 NFL writers at The Athletic got together to rank the best and worst NFL stadiums. The process started by gathering each writer's five best and five worst stadiums. While compiling the results, we ranked all 31 venues from best to worst. The NFL is now down to 30 stadiums for its 32 teams. With the New York Giants and New York Jets sharing MetLife Stadium in New Jersey and the Los Angeles Rams and Los Angeles Chargers sharing SoFi in Southern California. To update the rankings, 30 of the Athletics NFL writers again ranked their top five and bottom five in order. At the time of the previous ranking, SoFi Stadium and Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas were not included. This will be interesting to see where they fall in. That they both opened in 2020. So here we go. The updated rankings. Number one, U.S. Bank Stadium. Where the fuck is that, you ask? Minnesota. Seating capacity 66,000. Google review they have 4.7 stars. This wasn't even close. Half of the voters placed it number one in their rankings. It also topped our list three years ago. Although it's an indoor venue, half of the roof is transparent and the wall behind the end zone facing downtown Minneapolis is glass, allowing 
in a considerable amount of natural light. It opened in 2016, making it one of the league's newest stadiums. It also helps that the Vikings do an excellent job with their pregame and in-game presentation. You know, Minnesota is someplace I have not been. Now, I went to the Metrodome. That place was a piece of shit. Ugh. SoFi Stadium number two. Los Angeles Rams, LA Chargers, seating capacity 70,000. Google server being 4.5. Similar to US Bank, this venue also has been transparent roof, allowing for outdoor feel in an indoor stadium. It received seven first place votes. It's not a surprise to see one of NFL's newest stadiums ranked so highly. One of its best features is the double sided video board that hangs from the ceiling, circling around the entire field. Number three, sort of the exact opposite of the first two, Lambeau Field, Green Bay Packers, seating capacity 81,441, Google review 4.8 stars. It's jumped up one spot from the previous rankings, landing number one overall on six ballots. Lambeau has been home to the Packers in 1957. If watching a game outside in cold weather is a problem, this might not be for you, but if you like history, it would be difficult to find a better spot to watch a game. They've done an excellent job of upgrading the stadium over the years while still providing a historic feel. This is the Wrigley Field. This is the Fenway Park of the NFL. You just can't even compare the two. When I played, it was obviously nice to go into the new stadiums, right? But Still, and I, my favorite of the new ones would have been AT&T Park, Pac Bell, now Oracle. So, awesome feel, awesome experience, even Camden, right? But to go into Wrigley Field, Old Yankee Stadium, Fenway Park, it's just fucking different. And it's almost like they should have a different ranking system for the vintage stadiums that the new ones will never be able to compete with. Number four, AT&T Stadium. I have been to this one. I have not been to the first three, which I obviously need to go. Seating capacity, 80,000. Google, Google, Google review, 4.7 stars. Falling one spot from our previous ranking, AT&T Stadium is clearly still one of the best venues in all the sports. The retractable roof isn't open much, but when the doors in roof are open for a Sunday night or Monday night game, it's simple to find a better place to watch a game. The big screen above the field continues to be one of a kind. While some appreciate, others complain that it distracts them from watching the actual game on the field. You're right. If you sit up in the stands, all you're going to do is watch the board. Now, I've watched them down low, and they have those suites that are on the field. They're sick. You're not really looking up then. Now, now you're watching the, the play on the field. But... It's really, really, really cool. Uh, number five, Lumen Field. I've been here too. Seattle Seahawks, 67,000. Google review, 4.6 stars. One of the top attractions is that it's one of the loudest stadiums of sports. It is loud. The outdoor venue has been home to the Sea Chickens since it opened in 2002. It was second on our previous list this time around. It was in the top five of all 18 ballots. I don't know if I'd put that in the top five of all 18. Like, it's cool. And it's one of the nicer ones that I've been to. A slam dunk top five? Yeah, uh, I don't know. All right, number six, Arrowhead Stadium. Number seven. Allegiant Stadium, that's in Las Vegas. Arrowhead's cool. Never been a game at Arrowhead. Been to Arrowhead. Just never to a game at Arrowhead because the Royals play across the street. Now, the Royals apparently are getting a new stadium. Number seven's Allegiant Stadium, Las Vegas. Number eight, Mercedes Benz Stadium, Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, that place is sick. Went to the Super Bowl there. Really, really cool. Number nine, Empower Field at Mile High, Denver Broncos. 
Well, how about Mile High Stadium? What an epic place that was. There was nothing better than watching a snowy game at Mile High Stadium and Rich Carlos, the barefoot kicker for the Broncos, coming out to kick a ball in the snow. Those are some of my greatest childhood memories. Number 10, at Krischer Stadium. That's the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, cool. Right across the street from where the Pirates play. And the Pirates Stadium is one of the nicest I've ever seen. Uh, that definitely is up there. I don't think that the football stadium is as nice, but I've also never watched a game there. Just kind of been to that area. But it's, it's cool. Got that vibe. I, I do like when they take the baseball and football, and especially if you can – Put it in a downtown area or by the water or whatever. Number 11, I've been to this one, M&T Bank Stadium in Baltimore. Yeah, it's okay. Number 12, Levi's Stadium. I like Levi's. I do. It's a stadium that got a bad rap initially. I think a lot of local San Francisco 49er fans just had that nostalgia. Uh, feeling for the stick that they don't want to let go of. So no matter what you do at Levi's, nothing's really going to compare. But I went to the Super Bowl there. I thought it was sick. I've been to suites there. I went to a UCLA game where I sit in a suite. Had an amazing experience. So I don't have a single bad thing to say about Levi's Stadium. Lucas Oil Stadium. Indianapolis is number 13. Hmm. Have not been there. Uh, I happen to Ford Field, though. Detroit Lions, number 14. I thought that would have gone higher. That's sick. That's right in downtown Detroit. Cool vibes, cool feels. Hopefully the Lions are good this year. That's a good team to root for. Fun team to root for. The ultimate underdogs. 15, Philadelphia Eagles, Lincoln Financial Field. A little cookie cutter. 16, Houston Texans, NRG Stadium. Well, what the fuck? Because I was just there for the rodeo. Uh, it's massive. It's gorgeous. I think they should still play in the Astros. If you want to know how big NRG is, when you're walking up the ramp NRG, look down at the Astros. The Astros looks tiny. You're like, holy shit. The Astros was supposed to be the eighth wonder of the world. Number 17. State Farm Stadium, Arizona Cardinals. That's a nice one, too. 18. Tennessee Titans. I've been there. Nissan Stadium. Yeah, it's cool. Right down by the river? What's wrong with that? 19, Cleveland Browns. The mistake by the lake, it's not. That's old Cleveland Stadium. Number 20, Raymond James Stadium. Tampa Bay. I've not been there. It looks cool. Number 21, Gillette Stadium. New England Patriots. That doesn't look cool at all. That looks pretty standard. Meh. Oh, whatever. Uh, number 22, Carolina Panthers have not been there. Number 23, Soldier Field. Soldier Field used to be really cool. They did those modern additions that looked like a fucking spaceship landing on top of the Roman Coliseum. I don't know what they were thinking. But you took a Lambo field and you decided to combine that with gosh damn fucking Star Trek. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me at all. But anyhow, I give that a bit. Highmark Stadium, number 24, Buffalo Bills. Okay, I've been here. Overall experience, best I've ever, ever, ever experienced in the NFL. It's, it's not even close. The tailgates, the energy, the vibe, the people, it's a, there's, not, there's nothing better. And I just went for the first time. I'm dead serious about this. To be 24 on this list, it's, Look, I, I think the writers are more like rating press boxes, too. Let's not forget about that. Because the press box experience is really big when it comes to the overall way you're going to perceive something. So, say, for example, if you were to go sit in a suite, you're going to judge your experience based on your suite experience. If you're going to sit in the front row in the end zone, you're going to base it off of that. But regardless, uh, the Bills have a new $1.5 billion stadium 
that's coming. It's in uh, construction is, is already started, I believe. And it's expected to be finished by 2026. So be cool to try to get out to Highmark a couple times more, at least one other time before the new stadium comes around. The new stadium is supposed to be fantastic. And no, it's not going to be indoors, which makes it even more beautiful. MetLife Stadium. Ugh. Never been there. I, mean, I can't believe I've never been there. 82,500 is the capacity. It looks like a jail cell. I, I was across the way from Secaucus, New Jersey. But it literally looks like a fucking prison. Maybe it's cool inside. It doesn't look that cool. It's so black. I don't know. I, can you see the city from there, from like the top deck? There's nothing that's really endearing about it at all. Like, not even close. Number 26, the Caesars Superdome. Yeah, I, I've been to the Superdome with the Super Bowl in 1989. It was cool. I, they got to do some massive upgrades there. And I, I think they constantly are. Let's say it cracked the top 15 a few years ago, but it dropped significantly after ranking the bottom three in the league on eight ballots. It has hosted a record seven Super Bowls and will get an eighth in 2025. I mean, they better do. You got to do something with that place. You got to. It's just, I mean, it's, it's gone through all sorts of shit. Now, remember how vital it was, though, when Hurricane Katrina hit and it became like a haven for a lot of the people that all of a sudden were left homeless because of the devastation around the New Orleans area. So Superdome definitely will always have a special place in my heart. Number 27 is the Cincinnati Bengals stadium. It says a 23-year-old stadium cracked the bottom five on 13 ballots, finishing in the same spot as 2020. It's right next to Cincinnati's ballpark. I keep saying the same thing, but it's just it didn't do too much for me. Number 20, Hard Rock Stadium. Half of the ballots have the Dolphins home since 1987 in the bottom five in the NFL. Didn't they do, like, massive improvements there, though? I, I played there with Joe Robbie Stadium. And then they put, like, some kind of dome top on it. I don't know if it's retractable or what they did or covered the stands. I don't know. I don't know what's going on over there. I'd have to go back and see it. But Joe Robbie Stadium was, yeah, it's terrible. It wasn't a great place to play. Jacksonville Jaguars Stadium. It's called TIAA Bank Field. Is number 29. And then number 30, and I've been to this one, FedEx Field, the Washington Commanders. They can't fucking do anything right, can they? Seriously. No surprises here in a dominant last place finish, the home of the Washington NFL team. Since 1997, again, finishes last. 27 ballots had FedEx Field in the bottom five. 25 of those ballots had FedEx Field ranked as the NFL's worst stadium. Like, it's pretty new, too. It's old but not revered, Commanders reporter Ben Stadwig wrote. The basic amenities are outdated for this 21st century world with the locals choosing to stay away in recent years and with the losing, non-contending and ownership embarrassment. Tears from hordes of visiting fans often dominate the atmosphere. Of course, they'll be trapped in brutal traffic on the way out. Suckers. And yes, the rails break, pipes burst, and parking ain't cheap. At least everyone knows a new stadium is a must. Hold your nose for the next five to eight years in the interim and hope that winning games becomes the best attraction. All right, this is what I'm going to do. Tomorrow, we're going to rank MLB's best and worst stadium. I'm going to try to throw out a poll, potentially, on Twitter. But I will give, at least by tomorrow, I'll give you my own personal ranking of 1 to 30 of Major League Ballparks. And we will count them down 30 to 1. All right, let's see uh, what else we got 
going on here today. Let's get into Major League Baseball and get on our way here. MLB over the weekend was fantastic. And then as we got college football season uh, kicked off as well. I'm listening to a dogfight downstairs. Jeez. All right. Uh, Friday, excuse me, Sunday's scores. Mets 3-2 over the Angels. Alonzo and Ortega sparked the Mets rally. Rafael Ortega walk up single for the Mets, so they finally win one against the Angels. They're trying to have a brutal year. Orioles lose one to the Rockies. I was looking at that because Friday and Saturday, the Rockies had lost one-run games to the Orioles, and I was wondering how Sunday was going to play out. The Rockies were like, fuck this, man. We can play with them. Well, the Orioles uh, lose the final game of that series. They're still 81-49, and 49, though. Dodgers 7-4 over the Red Sox. Mookie Betts went deep, and it was cool to watch him go back to Boston and see everyone in Beantown give him the love that he so much deserves. Cubs 10-1 over the Pirates. Cubs are really playing good baseball as they dominated that series. Phillies at 3-0. Over the Cardinals, they get a big win. Guardians, 10-7 over the Bluebirds. It was the Astros, 17-4 over the Tigers. Huge win by the Astros. I mean, dude, they scored a shit ton of runs, I believe, the day before. It was at least 12. And they lost on a walk-off on Friday night by a, a rookie. A really cool start. I think it's Parker Meadows, who... Walked him off. I was going to do a no-filter video on that. The Marlins 2-1 winners over the Nationals. Yankees. Huh. It just keeps going downhill for them. They lose 7-4 to the Rays. It was the Twinkies 7-6 over the Rangers. The A's go down to the White Sox after winning a couple games in that series. They go down 6-1. The Brewers. A big win against San Diego. San Diego's is fucking done. They're 61 and 70. Good night. How about that? And then the Diamondbacks, 5-2 winners over the Cincinnati Reds to take that series. Diamondbacks now 69 and 62. The Giants get a big win. 8-5 over the Bravos and the Mariners 3-2 over the Royals. So taking a look at the standings, you got, let's see here. Baltimore on top of the East, Seattle on top of the West, and Minnesota on top of the South. The wild card as it would look today if it ended. Texas is 1-9 in the past fucking 10. Holy shit. It'd be Tampa Bay, Texas, and Houston. Texas better look out, though, and Houston. Toronto's 2.5 back, Boston's 4.5 back. I don't necessarily anticipate those guys getting taken over. And Toronto's not playing great. They're four and six in their past 10. But Texas is one and nine. Yeah, it's just not the time of year you want to be going ice cold. So hopefully if you're a Rangers fan, they'll be able to turn that around. I am a Rangers fan. It's because I root for Bruce Bochy. The Atlanta Braves in the National League have the best record of baseball. They're 84 and 45, seven and three in their past 10. That, they are the best team in baseball. And Dodgers are pretty damn close. Dodgers are 80 and 49. They're seven and three in their past 10. And the Milwaukee Brewers who are the leaders in the Central, 73 and 57, 8 and 2 in their past 10. They've won 8 in a row. Wow. All right. The wild card would look like this. Philly, 72 and 58. The Cubs, 69 and 61. And the Diamondbacks, 69 and 62. The Giants are on the outside looking in. They're one and a half back of that final wild card spot. And the Cincinnati Reds are one and a half back as well. So there was an incident in Arizona this past weekend in which there was a ball hit by Tommy Pham. Spencer Steer, the left fielder for the Cincinnati Reds, went back to the wall. He jumped up to catch it. And then there was this kid that looked to be about 11 years old, reached over and I, I, he's in his space, but he reached over a little bit, and he took the fucking ball out of Spencer Steer's glove. He turned around very nonchalantly, 
And that was it. So they originally give the home run to Pham. Well, they go back, they take a look at it, they review it, and they give the Reds the out. The part that is a little disturbing is they then went down and they kicked the kid out. What the fuck, man? Why are you going to kick a kid out of a game for literally catching a ball? It's the antithesis of what we do with the Savannah Bananas. We encourage fans to bring their gloves to the game and be a part of the action. Yet, Major League Baseball is not only discouraging it, they're punishing it. It doesn't make sense to me. Even if you want to call fan interference, fine. Yeah, we are not playing by the same banana ball rules. I get it. But how do you kick the kid out? Now, I guess their only explanation could be you may be doing it for the kid's safety. If there was an upset fan, I, like, I don't know. I don't know what the excuse is behind it. Maybe it's major league policy. But if it is major league policy, it's fucking stupid. And if you're going to put seats that close to the field, you're asking for it. Yeah, I mean, if, if I'm sitting right there, I see a ball coming, just it's natural instinct to catch the ball. On top of that, if you think about it, the glove actually serves as some sort of protection as well. So for the Diamondbacks to boot the kid, it just doesn't make any sense at all. I would, it also made me think about if that were any kind of like banana ball rule. Can you imagine? Like you hit the ball and the ball's coming. And you're like, dude, I said a new, like 400 feet, you know, whatever it is. And they counted that as an out. Now, a banana ball is only a foul ball, right? So it has, it has to be a foul. So if you do hit a home run and fan catcher, you're not. But wouldn't that be an amazing element? Because you could have, you know, this, this home run happen and then get robbed by a fan. Oh, fuck, that'd be awful. So anyhow, uh, some upcoming series here for Monday. You got the Angels at the Phillies, the Yankees at the Tigers, the White Sox at the O's, the Nationals at the Blue Jays, the Astros at the Red Sox. That'll be a good one. The Rangers at the Mets, the Guardians at the Twins, the Padres at St. Louis, the Brewers are at the Cubs. This is going to be a huge series. I mean, they're fighting it out for supremacy in the Central and a playoff spot. Pirates at the Royals and the Braves at the Rockies while the A's go to Seattle and the San Francisco Giants, holy shit, I might have to get out to this, are playing the Cincinnati Reds. Ellie Gaylor Cruz is somebody I would pay to go watch. I would go out of my way to go watch Ellie Gaylor Cruz. That might be worth the three-hour drive. I am very serious about that. So... Anyhow, of all the shows, this has definitely been one of them. Uh, we will get out of here with Life Optimization Podcast first and foremost. So we'll leave you guys with a little as a man thinketh. And we just kind of typically go to a chapter here and start from the beginning. Thoughts and character. The aphorism, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, not only embraces the whole of a man's being, but is so comprehensive as to reach out to every condition and circumstance of his life. A man is literally what he thinks, his character being the complete sum of all his thoughts. As the plant springs from, excuse me, as the plant springs from and could not be without the seed. So every act of a man springs from the hidden seed of thought and could it not have appeared without them. 
This applies equally to those acts called spontaneous and unpremeditated as to those which are deliberately executed. Act is the blossom of thought and joy and suffering are its fruits. Thus does a man garner in the sweet and bitter fruitage of his own husbandry. Huh. Thought in the mind hath made us. What we are by thought was wrought and built. If a man's mind hath evil thoughts, pain comes on him as comes the wheel, the ox behind. If wonder and purity of thought, joy follows him as his own shadow, sure. Man is a growth by law and not a creation by artifice. And cause and effect is as absolute and undeviating in the hidden realm of thought as in the world of visible and material things. A noble and godlike character is not a thing of favor or chance, but is the natural result of continued effort and right thinking. The effect of long cherished association with godlike thoughts. An ignoble and bestial character by the same process is a result of continued harboring of groveling thoughts. Man is made or unmade by himself. As a man thinketh, ladies and gentlemen. And on that note, by the way. The DH will actually have sent it out today, but we will get to it tomorrow in a special edition of a Tuesday DH that we will test out. Of all the shows, that was one of them. Much love to uh, everybody. Have a fantastic week. And don't be, uh, don't be afraid to go check out that IG post about Pete Carroll this morning at eburns22. And for all of our great partners at Caffeine TV and Believe Podcast Network, hola. Nice to be with you. That's it.